Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. I'm just going to read a few verses from Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us. Thank you even in a, an environment like this, your Holy Spirit, in a, in a, if you like, in a canteen of a college, your Holy Spirit is present, and that you're speaking to your people. And so, Father, I pray that this morning you would uh, speak words of truth and comfort and encouragement uh, to each person here. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember last week when we were looking at the story of Moses and we looked at the fact that Moses um, had his dreams shattered. He, uh, <clears throat> you know the story, he had killed the Egyptian. He was being hunted by Pharaoh He ended up running away and sat down by a well. And I sort of just talked about the fact that when he sat down at the well, it wasn't just because he was resting. It was also potentially because he had failed. Moses had set out to deliver the people. That's what he thought he was there to do. And actually, in his first attempt, in his own strength, he'd failed uh, quite massively. And uh, he ends up coming away and just sitting down by the well. Uh, But God comes to him and supplies for him uh, through Jethro, the man of peace who he sort of meets, and uh, supplies him a wife and children, and he becomes a shepherd of sheep. And he's a shepherd for many years uh, before this moment where he is taken his sheep, it says, to the far side and to the mountain of God, And there God engages with him at the burning bush. So the burning bush represents a supernatural encounter that Moses has with God. And it's interesting when he has this supernatural encounter with God, the first thing that happens is you encounter God's holiness. He encounters God's holiness and he comes so far and God says, don't come any closer. Because where you're standing, it's holy. Don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. So this is the first encounter. God's calling Moses, but at the same time he's saying to Moses, just stay back. This is a holy place. And then God presents himself to 
um, Moses as the God of his past. He, he connects him to the history. He connects him to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We haven't read it, but later he then connects him to the present when he says, I've seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've seen them. And then he connects him to the future and he says, I'm going to take them out of Egypt and I'm going to take them into a good land flowing with milk and honey. And that's what Moses was going to do. It's really interesting though because Moses turns aside when he sees the bush. And in some ways you could describe it as a memorable day. It probably started as an ordinary day. He wakes up. Maybe he decides, let's take the sheep over to that far side. He's been a shepherd now for many, many years. It's an unannounced day, unexpected. It broke. It was just ordinary routine. And then he sees a bush that's burning. And God was on the move. And Moses turned aside. You see, the time was right and ripe for God to act. You see, when God acts, there is nothing that can stand in his way. Moses had spent 40 years now with sheep. I don't know what you feel about that. I don't feel very excited about the idea of spending... I mean, I, I probably wouldn't like sheep. I don't really like animals. You, know, bit sort of, you don't know what they're going to do. Uh, that's my experience of them. Um, so the idea of herding sheep, I, I don't sort of like that idea. But, but the truth is, during that time, Moses' life had been restored. I think he was shattered at the end of uh, Acts 2 when he ends up at the well. I think he's shattered. His dreams had been, had, been, had been really just smashed. He was no longer the deliverer. He was sitting by a well in the wilderness. And yet 40 years later, <clears throat> he's been restored. One of the songs we sang earlier talks about heal my heart. Heal my heart. Well, Moses had his heart healed over this time. He had been healed from his humiliation. He had been, he had been healed from his Im impulsive actions. And into the silence, God speaks. God speaks into the silence and the stillness of his daily routine. Forty years of shepherding sheep probably humbled Moses. 40 years of shepherding sheep, lambing them, caring for them, probably humbled Moses. And it meant he was quiet enough to hear from God. So when that moment happens and he sees the bush, he turns aside. He's quiet enough in his spirit to hear from God. He couldn't have done that 40 years before because he was impulsive in his actions. He thought he was doing the right thing. But actually... Now he's quiet enough to hear from God. Now you may be thinking that you're in a wilderness in the sense that you're not quite where you think you ought to be. It feels very dry where you are right now. It feels like what's really happening to me, what's really going on. But wilderness years are not wasted years. They are years where you are healed. They were years when you are restored. And do you know what? There were years when Moses learnt to shepherd sheep. And it's interesting because that would continue to be his vocation. He was no longer going to shepherd sheep. He was going to shepherd a nation. 
But just like you have to shepherd sheep and you have to provide for them and protect them and you have to be present with them, he was going to have to be exactly the same for a nation. If you remember the story of, uh, of the Apostle Peter, Peter was a fisherman. And what does Jesus say to him? Leave your nets, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So he was going to do the same job, but just in a different way. And Moses is the same. He's going to do the same job, but in a different way. God had prepared him through 40 years of shepherding in the wilderness, sheep for 40 years of shepherding in the wilderness, a nation. Now, actually, had God said that to him, he said, no, please, don't. don't." If God said that to you, there are 40 years of just wilderness wandering. The question is, and the question that made it possible for Moses and for us, is will you turn aside? Somebody prayed earlier about the idea of whether we hear from God and how many of us struggle to think, I don't really hear from God. And realising that sometimes to hear from God, you need to turn aside. You need to quiet your heart. You need to, you need to hush yourself in order to hear from him. In order that you can hear what he has to say to you. Because he doesn't necessarily speak in the loudness. He doesn't necessarily speak in the activity but sometimes he speaks in the quiet. So Moses responds, um, here I am, he says to God, and uh, in the past he wasn't ready to hear God's call, because again, it's interesting, if you know the story of Moses and the Egyptian and all that, and, and all that story, you don't ever hear God speaking into that. You don't hear God saying, Moses, kill the Egyptian. You don't hear him say that. Moses, that's impulsive, natural actions. But here, he is now listening to God. You know, the day might be slow in coming for you, but you will not regret waiting for God to act. Because with Moses, on his own, he managed to relieve one Israelite from oppression. When he comes to God, he relieves a nation. You will not regret waiting for God. You will not regret waiting to see where God takes you, to hear him, to follow him. See, the contrast is stark. When you wait for God, you become an instrument in his hands tools through which he can execute his plan. In his own strength, Moses couldn't avenge very much at all. Fear grips him when he's in his own strength. And then God speaks to him. And it's interesting uh, because we always think of Moses as this great leader, and clearly he was, but um, his response to this moment of his call is really interesting for us because Moses comes up with five objections, and they're very, very human objections to why he shouldn't be the person to do the mission that God had for him to do. And we're just going to look at those uh, briefly this morning, these five objections and what God says to him in response. The first objection is this. Moses says, who am I? God says to him, I'm going to send you. And Moses' response is, who am I that I should go? Maybe he's remembering back with the fact that he was unable to do anything on his own. He questions himself. 
And he's not simply being a sign of modesty. Oh, who am I? It's not, it's not modesty or humility uh, necessarily, but it's a great awareness of his own limitations. What on earth can I do? God doesn't answer with, you're Moses, the prince of Egypt. Mighty in word and deed. He doesn't answer with that. He simply says, I will be with you. You see, the prerequisite for the call of God on your life is not what you think you've done or not how great you think you are or not even your personality or your gifts. It's his presence. That's the key issue. If God says, I will be with you, that is all you need. You don't actually need to know, well, I've got these gifts or those gifts. I've got this amount of resource and that resource. No, what you need to know is that God is with you. That was all he gave Moses. I will be with you. Who am I? Moses says, God says, I will be with you. In some ways, it doesn't matter who you are. Now, we would be like, oh, does God really say that to me? Well, at one level, he does. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're obedient to me, I can use you. It was the promise of his presence. It wasn't Moses' personality. Some of us, we sometimes can think that God uses us because we've got a particular kind of personality. Actually, God doesn't use you because of your personality. He uses you because of your obedience. Yeah? Personality can be all sorts of things. And the moment you start trusting in your gifts, maybe you've got some really strong gifts. Yeah, and you think, oh, yeah, God's given me these really strong gifts. Actually, in the end, it's his presence that will do it. It's not your gifts. Sometimes we have to realise that when it comes to God, God is much bigger than us. Yeah? He's mu- it's like the potter and the clay, and the clay is like a lifeless thing in comparison to the potter. We are like that in comparison to God. God is huge. Yeah? With God, Moses relieved a nation, and without God, he couldn't do anything. And his question, who am I, is really recognising that. But Moses doesn't just question himself, who am I? There's an element where he questions God. He says, look, if I go back, they're going to ask me, who is the Lord? What's your name? He questions who God is. Not in that sort of, in in a sort of a really um, faithless way, but he's almost like, who do I tell them is sending me? What do I say? They will ask, who is the Lord? And what does God reply? I am that I am. I am who I am. He calls himself Yahweh. Self-existent, the creator, sustainer, unchangeable. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is eternal. He is self-sufficient. It's interesting because Jesus in the gospel also refers to himself as I am. And that was one of the things that really offended the Pharisees because they knew what that meant. They knew that when he talked about I am, he was talking about God. That's how God refers to himself. And Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. I am, whatever it is you can imagine, I am that. Whatever it is you need, I am that. That's God. He's not limited by a name that we can give him. His name is I am. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Now, I don't quite know how Moses would have responded to that because it wouldn't have made much sense to him. 
really, when God responds to himself or says that's who he is. Then you read, if you just the end of chapter 3, God tells Moses to do two things. He says, go back to Egypt, gather the elders of Israel and go to the king. But as I say, Moses is reluctant. He's questioning himself. He's questioning God. And I don't know whether it's simply because he knew the task was so big, but Moses doesn't stop there with his questioning. And uh, maybe you don't stop there with your own questioning. His next question to God is, what if they don't believe me? What if people don't believe me? What if I go back and they just dismiss me, maybe in the back of his head, like they did before? What if that happens? I don't know whether you ever think to yourself, um, what if people don't listen to me? What if, they don't, what if they don't follow me? What if they don't believe me? Moses questions how he might be received. And then God gives him uh, powerful signs to demonstrate who he is. And you'll, you'll know these. He takes, he takes his rod and he turns it into a snake. And that was an interesting thing to do because one of the uh, signs of authority, royal authority in Egypt was the snake. If you remember, Pharaoh used to wear that headdress that looked like a cobra. One of the signs was a snake and, and God shows that he has power over that authority by being able to turn Moses' staff into a snake. Moses then puts his hand inside his cloak and it comes out with leprosy on it and God's demonstrating once again that he has the power over sickness and disease. He's showing to Moses, look, I can do these things. And then he says, if they don't believe those two signs, this third sign they might believe. He says, pour water from the Nile onto the ground and he turns it into blood. The Nile was the life, was the life giver of Egypt. And God was demonstrating, I can, I, I'm over that as well. I'm over the life-giving waters of Egypt. Egypt. He's reminded of these signs. But Moses, even then, is not convinced. I don't know whether God's speaking to you at the moment and whether or not it's taken a lot to convince you of what he's saying. Moses is not even convinced there and his next his next objection, if you like, is his own, he's questioning his own ability. Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. I'm slow of speech and tongue. What does God say to him? Oh my goodness, I didn't realise that. I thought that you had some really good oratory skills. Now God says, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. How often do you and I question our own abilities? How often do we look at our own abilities and say, am I really up for the task? Am I really able to achieve? 
And God says, who has given you those abilities? Who has made you? And then his final objection, I suppose, which is his most honest one. Please send someone else. I don't know whether you ever feel that. Just, just send someone else. It just seems a bit too much for me. Moses just expresses his reluctance. And here it's interesting, it says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. So, Mo- so God now is angry with Moses. He's calling Moses to a great work, and he's angry with him. And he says, almost as a concession, is your brother Aaron, why, don't you, why doesn't I'll send him as well? Aaron can help you. I know that he can speak well. And sometimes in our reluctance, God brings about a concession for us as Aaron was for Moses. You see, Moses was about, and we know, and we'll go into this, Moses was about to go back to Egypt and he was going to lead the people of God out of Egypt, which was going to be the big, um, if you like, it was going to be the act of deliverance that the whole of that nation was going to be built upon. And he's going to do it on the basis that God's going to be with him. He's doing it on the basis that God is I am who I am. He's doing it on the basis that um, these signs that he's been given. God doesn't give much because he only needs to give himself. How do we respond to the call of God on our own lives? How do we ensure that we're responding to the call of God on our lives and we're not just responding to things that we want to do? How do we know when it's God and when it's us? When God calls you, it's his initiative. It's not your initiative. It's not like your idea. It's his idea. God will call you to do something that's part of his kingdom, his will. It requires, as Moses kept saying, it actually requires testing and recognising among the people of God. God has called you to something. It won't be in an isolated way. Moses, in the end, was told to go to the king of Egypt with the elders of Israel. He needed to get the elders of Israel on side to be able to go to Egypt with them. God doesn't call us very often to lone works. He will often call us to operate and function in community, in teams, in, in groups of people. He doesn't often call us to lone works. And he calls us to be able to, um, I suppose, submit what we have and what we believe to those around us. Moses goes on to become a great leader over Israel. But his call, through a supernatural element, displays just how human he was. Questioning himself. Questioning God. Questioning his own abilities. Worrying about how he'll be received. Reluctantly going. We can all relate to that. And when God has really called us, Often it's in that kind of way that we can relate to it. 
I mean, talking to uh, Pauline this week and just thinking about God's call on my, my own life, you wouldn't have imagined that. If you had known me before I got married, you wouldn't have imagined this. Yeah? This wasn't me. This wasn't, I wasn't an obvious pastor. I remember one of my best friends as I was growing up, he said, oh, you weren't the first person we would have thought of. Yeah? It was true. We weren't, you weren't the first person we would have thought of. But when God gets hold of you, and when you submit yourself, he can achieve things in and through you that you can't even begin to imagine. Just make sure you're not doing Moses who impulsively tried to do things for himself and failed. Just make sure you're doing it God's way. And if you're in the wilderness, it's because he is, he's shaping you, he's restoring you, he's healing you for greater purposes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you... You are a God who takes and shapes and uses us for your purpose. And Lord, I pray that we will understand what that looks like for each one of us. I pray that we would submit to your process of development in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would embrace the wilderness years as years where you are training us and healing and restoring us. And I pray, Father, that we will, in many ways, unlike Moses, not be reluctant in the call that you give us, but be willing to embrace what you have for us to do. Father, I pray that you would give us great wisdom to know when it's you and when it's us, to know when it's based on impulsive passions and desires as opposed to obedience and faithfulness. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I think we're going to finish there. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.